Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Remote Work Tribe podcast. This episode is going to be a little different because A, it's our 50th episode, and B, I'm here with my podcast producer, Sebastian, and we're going to turn the tables, and Sebastian's going to interview me and kind of talk about our journey up until this point and also kind of recap some of our best episodes. Awesome. Yes, 50 episodes. How does it feel to go 50 episodes into this podcast, Jessica? Oh man, it's kind of crazy. Like I, when I went into this, I went into this trying to build into something that is going to be something consistent. And I feel like every episode, Mm. I almost sometimes learn more than some of the guests who are on there. And even though I think a lot of our guests have learned a lot and shared incredible stories, it's really, really cool to be able to hear all, you know, be able to kind of hear their stories and be able to translate them and kind of see how our audience has grown in the last two years. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So how have you changed as a business owner since you started the Remote Work Right podcast? That is a really good question. And I would say a lot of it has been when it comes to this podcast, the first few episodes of this podcast, I definitely kind of took a more scripted approach. I sent out all, I sent out most of the questions in advance to guests. And I kind of got really frustrated by that because it ended up being like the episodes weren't compelling. There's not really a storyline the conversations felt flat. A lot of the answers felt really overly rehearsed. And that's nothing, that's no fault of our guests. If anything, I was actually doing a disservice to them because it just wasn't that interesting. So like, I feel like as the podcast has grown and as I've gotten more confident uh, as a host and an interviewer, and I still have a long way to go, um, I rely less and less on the scripted conversations and the scripted questions and answers and a lot more and just leaning into the conversations. And then also realizing working with an amazing producer like you, Sebastian, who can actually help me kind of edit out some of the things that maybe shouldn't go on air. And I feel like we've gotten a lot more interesting tidbits just off of the fact of just being able to lean in to those conversations and seeing how those go. For sure, for sure. I I think you're totally, totally right. And I think, yeah, like starting on like any podcast really it's it starts a bit slow but once you get the hang of it and the format of it and the feel of it it really blooms so yeah uh, totally 100% agree in all of these episodes that you have recorded what would you say are like some of the key lessons that you have incorporated into your business that is such a tough question to answer because I feel like I've incorporated or learned something something sometimes pretty small or sometimes very large and pretty much every episode I do. If anything, I don't know how public I am about this, but pretty much 99% of guests on this podcast were invited on. So like, I can think I have only had one instance where somebody reached out to me asking to be on the podcast and I actually accepted. And in that case, it was even not a rarity because I actually knew that person in it. I had kind of known who that person was and knew that there was probably going to be an interesting story to tell in that episode. But yeah, it's just the nature of the fact that it is very curated and the types of guests we have means that I pretty much learn something new from every episode. Great, Jessica. So when it comes to to leadership, uh, especially in this marketing space that I think has evolved really quickly in the past few years, what are some of your favorite episodes or the things you've learned in this journey? 
I love this question. I feel like every single person who I invite on is in their own right, just a really exceptional remote first leader, whether they're leading a really small team or leading a very large or leading kind of a medium, medium sized company. However, there's definitely some stand episodes that have definitely stood out more so than others. I think the episode I did with Dev from Grow and Convert, I want to say about a year ago, is really, really useful because A, it's like, you know, hearing the perspective of an agency co-founder kind of talking about how they really empower their team, which is mostly contractors, to really feel like included and part of it and really deliver what I think are exceptional results um, for their clients. Another core tenant of like the team experience that we want to have for everyone at Grow and Convert is autonomy. So I mentioned flexibility and the second one is autonomy. Autonomy means like minimize management to some extent, right? Don't have people like, especially micromanaging what you're doing. So a couple things. One very simple thing is there's two of us. There's Benji and me. So like we get away with something that maybe for a solo founder, they would reach their limit um, more quickly, okay? Factor number one. And I'm just coming up with these factors off the top of my head. I have not like prepared this. Factor number two, uh, I think is, the quality of the people. That's one episode that really has stood out to me. Another one that I think is just really interesting from a leadership perspective and kind of empowering their team to, you know, fully take ownership and really thrive in their roles is the first episode I did with John Doherty of uh, Credo and Editor Ninja. To me, I actually see a glut, like a, an excess of people available to hire and it comes down to hiring the right people and having a, a good solid process around hiring the right people, empowering the right people, keeping the right people around, getting the wrong people off the bus. Like that to me is the bigger, is the bigger challenge there. And so, you know, I, I actually think it's around like, um, like to hire the right people. It's really that um, exercise I talked about, about the like, uh, what are the things that you're doing that you hate doing, but need to be done and then go find those people. Don't try to hire someone just like yourself, hire the people hire people to do the things that you hate doing that are keeping you from doing the things that you are best at, that your clients are actually paying you for. Those are two episodes yeah. that just really stand out for those reasons, for the reasons of either like, you know, just how they show up as leaders and how they, how they get the best impact possible from their team members. 100%. Yes. I really like those episodes as well. And how about, because like one, I think leadership is a very difficult Thing to do, especially if you don't have like an operating system to, to, to give it structure to everything. The operating systems that you like, and people that have talked about the operating systems and accountability systems that they have in their companies, what are some episodes or key lessons you've learned in, in that area? Yeah, I love it. I feel like I've lost count of the number of episodes that we've done where somebody has mentioned either OKRs or EOS. And <laughs> OKRs, for those who are not familiar or maybe need a refresher, was kind of a goal setting framework popularized by Google in the early 2000s. And EOS was popularized from the book Traction by Gina Wickham. Um, and that stands for Entrepreneur Operating System. So much so that both of those topics have come, come up so many episodes that we ended up doing separate episodes just on those topics. So the episode I did with Rachel and John kind of talking about how they implemented EOS in their teams is one of my top five favorite episodes so far. Um, and it really gets into the nitty gritty of how you actually implement the system and realizing that you can't 
you know, when you're doing something as messy as leading a remote first team and human emotions and all get involved, like you can't really just implement it by the book and expect to get like the best possible solution. So hearing how both Rachel and John have been able to, in their own ways, adapt kind of the key principles and the key frameworks and the key mental models from within the traction book into their respective businesses was eye-opening. EOS really resonated because it was all about empowering people to work on their own. And everyone was on the team, on the team already was very independent and autonomous. So this was about creating more transparency and more accountability through these tools that help us work together, but allow everyone to sit in their very specific seat and kind of let go of everything that's not their responsibility or problem. So that was really appealing to us having this team of high performers. It gave them freedom through putting some restrictions in place that allowed them to let go of other things. And that's kind of how we came to the the EOS system. And if I can add a little bit of context, um, just kind of building off what Rachel said at Credo, basically we got to the point where we had six, seven, eight people and basically we're doing annual planning and kind of like setting the, the vision for the year, but then we'd get, and we'd be like, all right, this is what we're working on over the next little while. And we'd get about 90 to a hundred days in to the year or, you know, after we did planning and then we were like, it, it, everything just started to fall apart and no one had any idea what anyone was working on. What's the priority, that sort of thing. And so EOS really helped with like the quarterly planning really helped with like getting everyone, uh, everyone to row in the same direction, right? Rachel, like if you think yes, about like, yep. a, like a boat, like you have a lot of high performers, everyone's in good shape. Everyone knows how to row, but if you're not all rowing in the same direction at the same cadence, you're not going to go anywhere. You're at least not going to be very fast. Right. Um, and at worst, you just get spin in circles. So that was, that was kind of what was going on in my business at the time when we arrived at, okay, we need some sort of format here. Yeah. And on the flip side, when it comes to OKRs, I feel like a lot of particularly tech startups, which is really the space that I operated in, not only for this podcast, but also with our boutique content marketing agency, OKRs kind of become have almost become the default. A lot of companies utilize them, but they don't utilize them as well as they could, or they think it's the only way. So it's almost it becomes this hammer to solve problems. When in reality, like you can almost get solve them better using a different system. So the episode we did very recently, where I interviewed Josh from Referral Work, talking about how he actually moved away from OKRs after two years and went back to KPIs is a really good example of how to do that. We're going through these motions. I looked at them and a lot of them were very repetitive of past quarters, right? The ones people were submitting were like, do this many blog articles, optimize this many, this, the, you know, these many SEO pieces you know, create three projects, document five items, you know, those types of things that were still very like checkbox oriented, but at the same time, didn't really allude to what I would consider like better outcomes. And it just felt like everyone was doing them anyway. And even when we tried to stretch them, conditions would happen in in the quarter that would always have the human element of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We didn't get to that. And no one's stressing over it. So For us, there was never like a, you know, we didn't tie bonuses. We didn't tie like slaps on the wrist for not meeting OKRs. And there was also no big fanfare for, you know, them being accomplished. So it just, it started to dawn on us how, how much it was just not really an area of focus for us anymore. And once we did the KPI stuff and those quarterly updates that I was writing up, that felt more aligned in the pace we were going and people could see numbers move and that type of thing. So that's, that's sort of what stopped the, uh, stopped the OKR train for us. Let's jump into another topic that everyone is talking about. 
these days and that you obviously have touched upon in these podcasts. How about AI and their role, their potential role in, in marketing spaces, in content marketing and so forth? Like, what have you learned about that from your guests? I love this one. And I'm probably going to go off on a little bit of a tangent when I'm going to say that I feel like one of the things that is a little bit frustrating in, at least if you spend any time on Twitter or LinkedIn, like I do, is it's always a lot of talk about like, here are the top 10 AI tools that you need to try today. Or like, you know, here are these like really general, you know, prompts that you should be using. And in my experience, that stuff is almost like, not only is it super, super factual, but like it almost can be almost counterintuitive. It can almost be almost like not even like, you know, end up hurting your ambition ambitions with how you incorporate AI into your business or how you incorporate it into your own individual workflows. For one, most of the tools that are mentioned in these Twitter threads or these LinkedIn carousels probably are not going to be around in two years, potentially even two months from now. So spending yeah. a whole bunch of time, you know, signing up for all these tools that might not even exist. Um, or trying to, you know, utilize a tool for a problem that maybe you don't even have right now is a gigantic waste of time. So I feel like the way that I kind of approached AI and with a lot of guests on this podcast is thinking about what are people actually using AI for and like dialing it down into like first principles, which a lot of it really goes back into how to use AI and automation just in general to either improve efficiency of an existing system, an existing process, or solve a really big pain point that you already have. So one of my absolute favorite episodes I've done on this topic is the one that I did with May, uh, who's the co-founder of Writer. Uh, obviously, she you know, is the co-founder of an enterprise AI tool, but kind of her approach to how she thinks about AI is just super, super, super smart. AI is a tool. And the only company out there that's trying to enable full-on teams with the tool versus individuals. And, you know, that means we've invested in template libraries and prompt libraries that are shared across teammates. We've invested in custom template building. And so, you know, the vast majority of customers like want to tweak either the input or the output. And so we help them do that. And then we also do training, custom models, as well as delivering everything via API. So ChatGPT has done anybody in AI a massive service. And what we tell content leaders and CMOs, that's our, that's our, those are our people right now, is it's been a minute since it was marketing and content people at the heart of the innovation conversation. And so, you know, we actually walk them through the other half dozen use cases that folks use us for across HR, operations, support, L&D, training, so that they can actually be the folks who introduce an entire company to the power of generative tech to edit, to draft, to write, because it is a, um, it's a really singular moment. And then on the other side of this, the actually one of the most recent episodes that I did with Stella from Who is another example of how, how to think about AI and how to actually incorporate it into streamlined decision-making process for your team. There's this great opportunity with AI where we can, we can sort of take away some of the human biases and, and unearth data or facts that maybe we hadn't considered previously. There's actually research that shows that one way that AI can help with decision-making is that it 
shows options for decisions that a human may not have previously considered. And so I think that there's a really big opportunity with um, with AI to make better decisions. I think the challenge is humans are complicated and messy and AI is not the silver bullet solution to everything. So I think there's a question of, of how humans can work with AI to make better decisions, what that software is going to look like, how will you make it usable and relevant and um, and a habit in everyday life. So there's just, it's just a really fascinating space to be in right now. So much opportunity. I think those two episodes are probably two of my favorite ones when it comes to just general AI philosophies and general use cases. Great, so let's talk a bit more about marketing teams and particularly content marketing teams how do you think like a company should approach this challenge of leading a content marketing team given everything that we discussed the rise of ai and and so forth like how do you see that space and what have you learned by interviewing your guests absolutely that's such a great question and obviously you know a good chunk of our audience is marketers many of which are actually leading teams whether it's you know a team of one direct report or, you know, a couple of freelancers or managing, you know, a team of, you know, 20 or 30 people within the marketing organization. I think content marketing in particular is actually in a really exciting period of time. Like you have things like AI that can really improve efficiency, but there's also definitely some trade-offs to think about when, how you're, and thinking about how you use AI and how to like, you know, where it fits in and where it shouldn't. So I really go back to the episode I did with Sonia Simone. I believe it might've been episode 40 or 41. I'm really talking, kind of going back to the thinking through the first principles about like, you know, why you're writing content and who your audience is and making sure that's really aligned. And I feel like that's a really important message to talk about today in particular, because without it, you can almost kind of go astray and go too far into AI and your content lacks any sort of moat and you almost forget who your audience is. So your content is like overly generic and it's just not going to resonate as well. So I think that's like a really good reminder about that. I, I think my most important rule for Google, and you know, we, it seems obvious, but we do forget it, is you have to be writing for your buyer. And if, if somebody tells you to do something to make the search engine happy, but it doesn't create a good experience for the buyer, that's bad advice. You know, I mean, and the thing I always say is, you know, Google algorithms do not have credit cards. They cannot buy your product. They cannot buy your service. So that already gets you out of a whole world of like foolishness, like stuffing keywords. Now, no good SEO is going to tell you to stuff keywords today or honestly in the last 20 years, but I still see people do it. So um, that's one of my big ones. You you write for your buyer and then, you know, you do what needs to be done for, for search engine rankings. And, you know, Google is explicitly looking for um, quality signals. They, they would like to rank good content. That is That is what they would like to do. I don't think they're saints. I don't think they're perfect, but that is what they're trying to do. And I think the best way to send quality signals is create quality work. And the rest of it, I'm not going to say it takes care of itself because that would not be fair to my SEO brothers and sisters, but that is the cornerstone. The cornerstone of good SEO is good work. And then actually, I think probably the episode right after that that I did with Ross Simmons, a foundation, 
is another really good example of thing, making sure that you don't forget about things like not only just creating that content, but also making sure you're distributing it and you're distributing it to people for the most likely to get the most value from it. We believe that distribution is one of the things that most organizations sleep on and don't really view as a key part of their marketing strategy. A lot of content marketing agencies and a lot of content marketing um, companies have gotten to a point where we believe they forgot about the word marketing and they stopped marketing the content that they actually produce. So what our strategists do in partnership with specialists and producers is to actually identify ways to distribute the content that is being created. This is typically typically happening through organic channels, things like Reddit, through Quora, through various communities, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Facebook groups, through Twitter, through YouTube, through Instagram Reels, you name it. We're taking assets that the team is producing and then distributing them and finding ways to remix them, re, um, revise them and turn them into new assets. Would you have awesome. any episodes that you think um, were really kind of strong when it came to marketing or that and it stood out to you? I think there are a lot to be to be honest. I really liked the episode. I think it was with Josh, where, where he basically, like you already mentioned it, but when when he switched from OKRs to KPIs, I thought that was that was great and and a very rare type of conversation that you don't hear that very often. So I thought it was super insightful to see how simplifying things can actually help you as well. And just because everybody's doing something doesn't mean you should probably do it and the right thing for your organization. I thought that was fantastic. I want to have a tight operating system that applies to everyone. So everyone knows how to do everything across all the teams. And I think that's where the root of it comes. And if you're like me and you're, or you decide that you want to split out and try to get the best of both, like, I think that's, that's where you could potentially run into trouble. When it comes to like leading, I also really like the episode with the Ross Simmons, I think is his name from Foundation. I really like his approach in general and his brand and, and, and how he talks about content that shapes culture. And I'm an anthropologist by trade. So obviously this is like kind of something that I would naturally resonate with. But I think having that understanding and leading the team with purpose and kind of going back to first principles and being very critical about everything. It's not like AI is good or bad or it's really not. It's how do you use it to empower your teams? It's not that a particular operating system is not good for you or good for your organization, right? Like it's more about how do you do things with purpose so that your people, the people that work with you and the impact that they have in the world is connected and it's powerful and it's meaningful, right? You can create as a founder, all of the systems, all of the procedures, you can reiterate your values as many times as you want. But if you don't have the right people around you to um, actually move forward together and collaborate, it doesn't work. It just won't happen. So the key is really just the people. You find good people and they will take care of the rest. And that has been kind of our mantra at Foundation. Um, find great people, give them the guardrails, give them the tools, give them the training and development opportunities to thrive, and they will take care of the rest. And it's been, uh, it's been effective so far. Those two jump to mind at this point, but there are like so many, like, honestly, it's really hard to decide. Um, yeah. Yeah. As you were listing those, I'm already thinking about a few other episodes that really stood out when it came to how to really think about content marketing in 2023. Another one that just totally stood out to me is the episode where we interviewed Ashley and 
similar to Ashley, I also yes. have a have a journalism background. So kind of going from maybe that isn't from journalist to baby level marketer to now kind of someone who's more seasoned content marketing professional. I really, really enjoyed that episode with Ashley because it also kind of goes back to, hey, like some of the absolute, and maybe I'm biased here, but you know, Ashley is a great example of this as well. Like some of the absolute best content marketers today are ones that have a journalism background. Um, and it's because like, hey, it's like yeah. storytelling is at the root. And the more you can tell stories, like that's one thing that like, you know, AI can't really do is like, you know, share original stories or tie those original stories back into key lessons. And I think the more we lean into that, the more you can position your brand in a way that's not only going to get attention, but also is going to resonate deeply. Um, companies need to invest a little bit more in content. There should be um, at least one individual who is a little bit more on the strategic end um, of content. There should be a couple of people on a team that are very involved with their writing. Um, ideally, an editor would be a good thing to have too, because it's always good to have another um, set of eyes looking over um, the content that you develop. For sure, for sure. Yeah, oh, but like, yeah, if I really think about it, there, there are a bunch. Like I remember one of the very first ones with Devin Bramhoff. Uh, she used to work at Animals. Like basically everything she says is gold. Like it's, it's fantastic. You learn so much about leading a team, organizing content at scale, right? Like not just how do I make sure that I create the right piece at the right time, but how I how do I build a distribution machine that allows me to reach my goals. And I think that's that, that was super, super insightful as well. I'm looking here as well, like Brooklyn Nash was great also. I really like that episode uh, just because he has also, he shares this idea that you need to have something interesting to say before you actually say something. Um, I thought that was, that was really interesting. But yeah, like <laughs> there are a bunch. Honestly, people, you you should be listening to this podcast because it's really good. It, and it's very rare in this space. Dan Oshinsky's episode was also really great. Um, yeah. I actually subscribed to his newsletter and I, I love it. Like It's one of my favorite things now. Absolutely. And then another one I get to just throw into that same camp is, yeah, going back to what you said, I think what you said about Brooklyn's episode, that's just another one that's just really, really strong about someone who, I don't know if he has a traditional journalism background, but like it's so strong and having a strong point of view and really take, you know, taking the time to, you know, either to share original thought leadership takes that I still think is somewhat rare in this industry. For sure. Oh yeah, I think we've become a bit desensitized by by following the right keyword rather than talking to a person on the other side of the screen, for sure, <laughs> and having something interesting to say. Yeah, I could just go on probably for hours about how that shift from you know thinking about audience research to just purely keyword research and thinking about you know SEO is the only way to go about content marketing is the quite frankly bullcrap. Um, like it's not actually like that's yeah. actually not the best way to do content marketing. Like content marketing, you know, SEO is just one distribution channel. It's a really good one, and you probably should be winning to it to a certain extent. But like that's not the only reason you should be sharing stuff about SEO about you know in your content marketing strategy. If anything, your content marketing should really be about your positioning and creating content that speaks to the goals and pain points and or you know meeting your audience or ICTs where they're currently at. And then by nature of that, like SEO can be like one lever to help more of those people, you know, find your content, but it should not be the reason you create content. 
in particular sense, if you're just creating content for SEO, a lot of times you end up with just quote unquote, like mediocre to even subpar articles. Um, they're just reporting on the top 10 oh, results yeah. on Google. And we can spot that content from a mile away and just doesn't stand out. You have no moat. And quite frankly, most of your audience can see right through it. So it's not even doing anything for you. Yeah, it's actually really counterproductive. I would argue like it hurts your brand negatively. Like you don't want to be known as the person who just writes the next, like the, <laughs> the same thing, but with different words, like for real, like got to add value at some point and really think about what it is that you're trying to communicate. Absolutely. So much this. And it's not even that difficult to stand out. I'd actually argue the barrier to stand out is still mm. relatively low. You really only need like 10% of your article or the content you're producing to be somewhat different to actually have any chance of standing out in a positive way and resonating with your audience. So it's not like you have to like immediately have these 100% original takes that are just completely out of left field. That actually also can be counterproductive because if you're too original, you honestly can also risk completely like, you know, missing the mark and your ICP and your audience won't even understand the connections that you're making. So there's definitely a balancing act there, but like, yeah, if your entire strategy is going after a keyword and just reporting on the top 10 results, like that's A, like that's the 2012 approach and it didn't really work in 2019 and it's certainly not working in 2023. It was not working as well as it used to. Yeah, but, and I think it's going to change even more like with AI. Like, I, I think SEO is just going to evolve. Like, one scenario I see is it could potentially, like, almost even kind of disappear because you're going to have your personalized AI that provides the right things that you want to read anyway. So, like, you might as well write something interesting to stand out. Um, I don't know, but that's just me being me <laughs> and thinking about weird scenarios. I mean, I definitely think AI is definitely going to evolve a lot. Um, in the age of AI, and of course, none of us really know, you know, what direction that's going to be. If we did, we would all be fortune tellers. Um, yep. However, I do think, like, you know, there's something beside with the Lindy effect, and the longer, you know, something's been around, the longer it's going to be around in the future. And, you know, SEO has been around for, let's say, like, you know, over 20 years now. So I don't see it completely disappearing. Mm. If anything, that's it's true. probably going to actually still be really important for, like, in particular, your money, your life sort of terms. Um, like, I don't see, you know, generative AI in the future, particularly on Google in particular, you know, suggesting, you know, ChatGPT responses for all like, you know, health, wellness, financial, legal types of search terms. There's a lot of, you know, ethical and quite frankly, yeah, compliance and legal research. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I do think, you know, SEO is going to evolve and it's smart to actually get with that in the times. Fantastic. When it comes down to just general leadership, what are some of the episodes or the insights you have found the most helpful in this journey, interviewing people? I love this question. And I love just really studying and kind of understanding like, you know, how really like best in class remote first leaders think about different problems or how they think about, you know, hiring and running their teams and just how much thought they put into any single decision. So one of the, my favorite episodes on this topic is the episode that, where I interviewed Pete, um, who's the CEO of Databox and just his general philosophy and how thoughtful he is about how he thinks about hiring, how he thinks about 
developing the team at Databox is just super, super, super interesting and probably yeah, one of my favorite presents on this topic. I think it's important to have both incentives for people who um, perform really well, as well as, of course, safeguards for the organization for people who are underperforming and, and not showing signs of the improvement or improving fast enough. Um, and so on the on the upside thing, not only is there opportunities for people to get promoted from, let's like, say, the junior jobs we were talking about before, the entry-level jobs we were talking about before, to the more senior ones, but there's also opportunities for them to earn promotions and raises in the role that they're in. So for every role that we have, we have a level one, two, senior, and principal level, which each of those correspond to higher compensation. And so if somebody wants to stay in that junior role, like I have no problem with that. In fact, sometimes that's really good for longevity and, and like innovation in that role, et cetera. And so it would take them maybe three to four years to earn that principal level title. Um, so if they want to stay in that role and continue there, that that's totally fine. And then on the underperformance side, we have two different performance plans. I think this is important. I, you know, I see all these companies in the SaaS space, especially laying off a ridiculous amount of people. Um, you know, I just, yeah, just talking to a friend of mine who I used to work with and 25% of this company that ju just got let go out of, and they ju literally just ru raised three quarters of a billion dollars. Like they didn't need to cut all those people. And I think it's just that they didn't have, I'm guessing here, but uh, I think it's just because they didn't have good performance management in place. Um, and so to me, this was really important for us to get in place. We got it really firmed up the end of last year. Another one that stands out for completely a different reason is the episode that where I interviewed Evan Hamilton, who is, I believe, like a VP of community at HubSpot, but he's also worked for companies like Reddit in the past as well. And like the episode was more about kind of, he's like, like a world-class community builder. Um, and also what I'd argue is like a world-class world remote first leader. And some of the principles of how you build a global community at scale really can also apply and translate very well into, you know, leading a remote team or leading a hybrid team. I take my job as I need to clearly understand what the business needs. I need to understand the context of the business, what's going on within this business. And then I need to bring outside insights. So uh, things that I know, things that other people in the world know and apply them to this problem, which is a very like simplistic way to describe it. But I think often I won't, I won't talk about other people. I have definitely fallen in the trap of forgetting one of those steps, right? Either I don't understand what the business is really trying to solve, or I don't understand the context of the business, or I'm doing things the way they've always been done instead of bringing in that outside perspective. And so, you know, when I I find myself most successful as a leader, it's really when I am connecting those dots and bringing those all to bear and saying, here, here's the thing this company is struggling with. Here are the advantages we have and the disadvantages. And here's an outside framework that we can use to make ourselves successful. And then from there, it's just helping the team create a clear roadmap to do it and coaching them through the tough parts. All right. Um... I'm going to ask one question that I've been a little bit curious about hearing your answer ever since you started recording the episode. So if you could have, I don't remember how you ask exactly, like lunch or dinner, no, coffee. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Cool. So turning the table, I'm probably one of my favorite lightning round questions to ask guests. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like I should be prepared better to answer this. <laughs> um, I'm sure they do as well, but, but no. <laughs> yeah, but I would say in general, I mean, off the top of my off the top of my head, maybe one of the ones who I'd really want to, like, you know, have coffee with. Well, like, let me let me rephrase this. Can I choose someone who's still alive? You can choose whoever you want. It's yeah. as open as you want. So I'm going to change the answer a little bit and say instead of a historical figure, this person is definitely a historical figure, but they're not very much still living. So the answer I would probably choose in the back of my head is Michelle Obama. I just think like kind of her approach and was like how when she was first lady and what she's gone on to do after that and just her story even beforehand is so freaking fascinating that I feel like if I could get like an hour of her time, I would learn, walk away just learning so much. Oh, for sure. That's a great answer. I would love to talk to her as well. Yeah. So now I'm going to turn the table and ask you who passed or present historical figure. So like, you know, could be someone alive or someone who has passed, you know, 300 years ago, who would you choose? Well, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's a very difficult question indeed, but I guess I think I'll just go back to like the classics. Like I would just like to hang out with, I don't know. Socrates and Plato and just like talk <laughs> like see how they did things why did they think the way they they were thinking back then I think uh, try to to get a, a feeling and uh, understanding on how is it that they were so great that we still talk about their philosophy today and it fundamentally shapes everything we think about even today like that's crazy like how do you have ideas that are so evergreen it's like the ultimate cultural SEO play. Like, how how do you do that? Yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know if that's the best answer, but yeah, I, would, I think that would be a very great conversation to have. Yeah, I love it. I feel like, you know, having a conversation with an ancient Greek philosopher would be so freaking enlightening. And in the same yeah. way, under the same guys, like having a conversation with Shakespeare, like oh, to yeah. your point, it's like, you know, someone yeah. who's like, literature has been baked into curriculums you know for centuries like you know how do you create masterpieces that go on or ideas in the case of Plato and Socrates or Shakespeare in terms of literature that are literally you know timeless all right great so Jessica where can listeners find you they want to talk to you hang out with you online absolutely so Obviously, uh, we have some amazing episodes coming down uh, in episodes 51 through 60 in particular, where we have some really exciting guests that are going to be on the show coming up in the next couple of months that I'm really excited about. So continuing to listen to the Remote Archive podcast, which you can find pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, you name it. In addition, definitely, you know, making a much more concerted effort to produce our Remote Archive newsletter. Um, which is kind of a compliment to this podcast and kind of goes much more into depth into specific topics, whether it's AI, thought leadership, leading marketing teams, hiring, how to think about team culture, all that stuff within this podcast. And we're bringing in more voices there all the time. Right now, we publish that newsletter twice a month and you can subscribe at newsletters.theremoteworktribe.com, which will also be in the show notes. Uh, in addition, I'm also pretty active on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And it's just my name. Fantastic. Thank you, Jessica, for, awesome. yeah, for leading the journey up to this point, 50 episodes. And thank listens. you. It's really awesome to have 
you to turn the tables and have you in a be on the episode and also interview me for this one. So, you know, thank you again for asking so many amazing questions. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.